0: Well, good morning, everyone. Hope everyone had a good week. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, as we come before you to continue hearing our series on Genesis, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to what you have for us and close our ears to any air that I may speak. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to reveal to us what you have for us in this series. And uh, Lord, especially as we begin to close it out, Lord, these next couple chapters. Father, uh, I pray that you would show us, speak to us, show us how it fits into the larger framework of Scripture and also how it fits into the larger framework of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So a teacher, um, or photographer, excuse me, was photographing pictures of first graders at an elementary school making small talk to put his subjects at ease, all the little ones coming up to him. And so uh, one of the little girls came up and he said, so what are you going to be when you are, what are you going to be when you get or grow up, get old? Little girl thought about it for a while. And she looked up and she said, tired. (laughs) It's a pretty good description of Jacob in our story, right? I mean, if you think about what's just happened, Joseph, the proud son, brings his father to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, who, as far as we know, is maybe the most powerful man in all the world, We don't know how far Egypt traded then, and we're not sure how powerful other kings were around in the Near East or the Ancient East, but at that point in that region, Egypt was it. This is the most powerful king there is. And now Joseph, the slave, the prisoner, has risen to number two in all the land, and he brings dad out to meet the king. And the king's like, "How you doing? Uh, not so well. How's your life? It stinks." <laughs> you got to think Joseph is sitting there going, "Like, what, Dad? Stop!" Right? I mean, Jacob at this point is a cranky old man. Why do we do this when we're old? Why do we give cranky old answers? After all, everyone seems to look forward to a comfy retirement. How many of you all plan to live the good life when you're retired, right? And yet, that's not really what so many folks seem to do. We don't really seem to understand that our bodies are built to enjoy things when they're young. I remember my father-in-law and his wife just lived for retirement. They worked, and they worked, and they worked, and they worked, and they scrimped, and they saved, and they wanted to live the good life when they retired, and he passed away three months before retirement, right? It's a sad day. Unfortunately, they took some vacations before then, but if we scrimp and we save, so many of us scrimp and we save and we stress and we want to get to retirement, only to find out when we get to that age, our bodies aren't what they used to be. And we were actually built to enjoy things when we were young. When we're old, we can't enjoy things quite so much, or at least not in the same way. But still, perhaps we're meant to see things when we're older a little bit differently. Well, Genesis 47, 1 and 2, we read this. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and their herds and all they possess have come in from the land of Canaan. And they're now in the land of Goshen. And among his brothers he took five men from among his brothers. And he presents them to Pharaoh. Now last week we saw the reunion of a massively broken family. And we see how Jacob comes and he sees this massively broken family restored. And we've seen this family from the beginning all the way through. We've seen the, 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 these brothers who wanted to murder their brother and they sell their brother into slavery and then we've seen their murderous rage and all the other nasty things that these guys have done and they've changed over time. And we see that this brother was sold into slavery and had become a prisoner and all of this stuff has happened and he's become number two in Egypt. And now we see that Jacob at the end of his life gets to see this splendid change. Like he walks in and he gets to see all of this stuff happening right before him. And he's at the end of his life. And and this is like a wonderful thing that he sees. <clears throat> now, Moses changes the focus back. Like he, he briefly changed the focus back on Jacob, but now he turns it back on to Joseph. He wanted you to see Jacob for a little bit. And he brings it back to Joseph. And Joseph is now introducing his family to Pharaoh. Now, it's important to keep in mind two things with this chapter here. There are the events that are taking place in this story, which are interesting, and they're interesting to learn about, but also we need to keep in mind the audience, which is why this particular part of the story is important. Like, we can get bored with this part of the story and wonder, well, what does this have to teach us if we forget the audience? You see, Moses, or whoever the author was, could not have chosen any part of Joseph and Jacob's lives in Egypt, right? They could have said, well, Jacob went home and he kicked his feet back on this. Jacob had this many sheep. He could have talked about his life in Goshen. He could have said, Jacob looketh upon the plainness, and he saw this many women's, right? He could have said, he saw this many beautiful sheep. It could have said, he wandereth, right? Because we all know God speaks in King James English. And, and he would have done X, Y, and Z. It could have said anything. It could have talked about Joseph's interactions with Pharaoh in the court. Anything could have been covered, but Moses does not cover those things. He covers this thing. And why is this thing <clears throat> important to us? Well, it's important because this has special meaning. Here we have the origin story of how the Hebrew people came to be in Egypt and later how they came to be enslaved by the Egyptians. And this would be of great interest to a people who, is, who had escaped from slavery. Remember, the audience of these first five books are the Hebrew people in the wilderness. Or at least the audience of Genesis is. Deuteronomy is going to be a little bit later on. This. But, but the audience is the Hebrew people in the wilderness. And so this chapter is going to be of great importance to them. They had escaped slavery. The Hebrews weren't Egyptian, and as slaves, it's not understood how much they actually knew about their history. You can imagine if you enslaved the people, how much are you going to educate them and train them, right? Like even in the United States, when we had our history of slavery, which didn't, which pales in comparison to how long the Egyptians kept the Hebrews in slavery, right? They had 400 years. They they had a long period of slavery. But you don't want your slaves educated. Why? Because educated slaves can lead to an uprising in general. Now, some people educated their slaves, but in general, that's what happened. Romans kept the Greeks educated, but in general, this is what happened. And so they possibly didn't know much about their history. They possibly didn't know where they came from. And so Moses is educating them about their backgrounds. Now, probably when he was in exile, he got to research some of this stuff. He probably knew and had access to this stuff as Pharaoh's son or adopted son. He would understand. He would have had access to the papyri. He would have been able to understand and research Joseph. He would have known about all of these things because he was trained in that way. And so he writes about all of this to train the Hebrews where they came from. Maybe Moses even wrote Genesis while he was in exile, or maybe while they were wandering in the wilderness. Perhaps it was written by someone else. Who knows? Regardless, as slaves, it was highly likely that the people of Israel had precious little understanding. So he explains this all to them. So when we read of the giving of the land of Goshen to the sons of Jacob, at first, it seems to be boring. But it was anything but boring to the Hebrews. Why? Exodus eight twenty one to 24 says this. Or else, if you will not let my people go. This is Moses talking to Pharaoh. Behold, I will send swarms of flies upon you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this this sign shall happen, and the Lord did so. So 400 years later, the Egyptians had separated, and the Hebrews are dwelling in the land of Goshen. How did they get there? And so when the plagues are happening, they're not happening to the Hebrew people in Goshen. This is their land. How did they get this land? This land may have been considered a lesser land, the land of the slaves. But first, when they're reading this, this was a good land that was given to them by the Pharaoh. It wasn't a lesser land. It was a land that they were gifted. It was a reminder that they were once loved and beloved. It's not a garbage dump given to a useless people. In Genesis 47, 8, and 9, we read this. How many are the days and the years of your life? And Jacob says to Pharaoh, the days and the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Brenda, would you mind checking to make sure the AC is on, by the way? Um, The days and the years of the sojourning of my life are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days and the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days and the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. Now, the word for evil here is Ra'ah, right? Ra'ah. It can be used in a variety of ways, Um, but it can be used here of evil or displeasing, right? Uh, They are unfortunate. Or it can be used simply of evil. So it's unclear to, 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 It's unclear how Jacob is saying it. Were all my days evil or all of the days of my life just unfortunate and displeasing? But here you have a view or a glimpse of how Jacob at the end of his life now is looking back. How many of you from time to time, you, I, I do this a lot. Like, I'll wander this way in my life, and my, my, I'm focused this way, I'm focused this way, I'm focused this way, but now I kind of want to turn back and look back on my life and see how it's gone. How many of you do that from time to time? It's a good thing to do every once in a while. Look back, take stock. Well, at the end of his life, he has become elderly. He's got very few years ahead, maybe just a few years, we're not sure, but he looks back and now he's taking stock. And in Jacob's mind, after all this stuff has happened, he says, "My life stinks." Now I want to read and look back and say, really? Dude, you made the Bible. Right? I mean, I didn't make the Bible. Did you make the Bible I mean none of us made the Bible. And we want to look back and say, what are you talking about, man? Now, he had some horrible things happen to him. That is true. But at the end, it all came together. So I guess the question here is, did his life stink? Was it awful? It's interesting to think about. Because we get to look at the closing of the eyes of Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph in this book. As you think across the landscape, how do you think each one of them viewed their lives when they looked back? Adam was at least the second man to die. Was he nervous? Hadn't really been done a lot before, right? (laughs) Or was he grateful Did he want to join Cain and Abel, or just Abel, if he was the second man? Noah, there's a man who saw death. Did he welcome it? Like, can you imagine the isolation of stepping off the ark? You were in a populated society, and then you step off the ark. I mean, on the one hand, you want to go, whoo! but on the other hand, everyone's dead, except for your family. What did Noah think? Abraham lived a very exciting, adventurous life. Isaac, compared to the rest of the family, lived a boring life. And then Jacob, but Jacob lived a pretty adventurous life, did he not? I mean, the Lord spoke to him time and time again, and yet this man at the end of his life says, the days of my life were evil. Why does he say that? Why do we look back on our lives when God has been so present and say the days of our life were evil? Or hard. Maybe he's just saying it was tough. If it was tough, whose fault was it? Was it Jacob's or was it God's? Was Jacob just the victim of the Lord's plan? <clears throat> or was he the victim of his own foolish choices? Or some of both. Joseph tells his brothers that what happened to him was all part of God's plan. So we could say, well, Jacob was just an innocent victim. God could have moved Joseph there any other way, though. Did he have to move him to Egypt via the wicked acts of Joseph's brothers? Couldn't Joseph have just been like wandering down the street one day and somebody kidnapped him and taken him? Did he have to go there by the wicked acts of his brothers? God eventually brought Joseph back to Jacob, and he eventually brought his family back together, but that doesn't change the fact that Jacob's family was a mess. And here's the thing, though. Two wives or no, did Jacob have to treat Leah poorly? which caused a lot of this mess. And whether or not he liked Leah, or if he thought, wow, Leah lied to me, and I don't want to treat her nicely, and Leah's not a good person, he still had boys and girls. And there's no excuse for treating them poorly. He favored one son over the rest of them. How do you justify that? There was no justification. So some of this clearly was brought on by Jacob's poor behavior. So Jacob did bring much of this down on himself. Now, that doesn't change the fact that as he closed in on his deathbed, that he viewed his days as bad or evil, but there was also tremendous good that happened. And that's a hard thing to see after so much trauma and hardship. Jacob did indeed experience awful things, but also God brought him through so much. And even through all of that, he thought it was awful. I mean, Jacob's ladder. Time and time again, God speaks to him. And literally, you walk into Egypt, and your son is the second greatest man on the planet. He introduces you to the greatest man on the planet. And you're like, well, this stinks. See, God brought him around. He had a lot of trauma, but he couldn't see it. How does he fail to see it at the end? How does he fail to see that Judah has come a long way, and Simeon and Levi have come a long way, and Reuben has come a long way? Why isn't he rejoicing at this period of time? God had greater intentions. Jacob can't see it. But I think it's often that way with us. We're often so focused on the bad, we're unable to see the good, the negative, the pain. It swallows us up completely, especially if we are one who has been called to be in a long race where the glorious ending is special, but the rest of it was grueling and painful, right? You've been on a tough track. And the ending of life is where it all comes together. But the ending of life is so brief, and so we're frustrated. We wanted our whole life to be glorious and good, but that's seldom how life is. What does this remind us of? That we are not here for the here and now. There is an afterlife where it will all be good and sweet. But that afterlife, it ain't here. It isn't. We've got time to rest for eternity. That time to rest, it isn't now. Retirement isn't going to be what we think it is. Retirement's in heaven. So Pharaoh settles with Joseph's family in the land of Goshen, and he gets back to business with famine, which gets severe. And the point of the rest of the chapter is that the Egyptians keep selling more and more to Pharaoh, really through Joseph. So just like the Egyptians are slave masters to the Hebrews, the Hebrews are reading this and seeing that the Egyptians had become slaves to the Hebrews. The master of all the Egyptians. Genesis 47, 23 to 24. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day brought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is the seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and as food For yourselves and for the households, and as food for your little ones. So, this had to be amusing and interesting and life giving to the Hebrews in the wilderness. Think about this. It's amusing to read that those who once enslaved you had actually enslaved themselves, right? And that they were at the mercy of a Hebrew overlord. It's interesting for them to learn their history and how they were linked to this land, but it is life giving. To a people who are without hope. To see, well, why were they without hope? They were without hope because they had been a people enslaved for hundreds of years. When you're enslaved for hundreds of years, you lose hope. You think you're nothing. Which is why in the wilderness, time and time again, the Hebrews keep wanting to return to slavery. They don't know anything different. They want to be slaves. They are afraid of freedom. Their masters, though, were human. They weren't gods. And they get hope. They, too, were brought to their knees. They, too, were at the mercy of a famine and only existed because of the kindness of the Hebrew God. They were saved because of the goodness of one of the Hebrew people whom they enslaved, And Joseph, in that sense, becomes a Jesus figure. He is imprisoned and mistreated, and yet rises to subdue a nation and hand it over to the king. And this is what is described in Jesus' mission in 1 Corinthians 15, 28. When all things are subjected to Jesus, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Yet for Moses' people to hear that this happened, it had to be heartening, right? They are somebody. Their masters weren't gods. They weren't superior. They, as Hebrews, weren't useless beasts. They were indeed chosen by God who had a plan for them. They had just been mistreated by a people who had forgotten that they were supposed to bless the Hebrews, who had forgotten that the Hebrews were a blessing to them, and began to treat them poorly. Their forefather, Jacob, had suffered just like them. Their forefather, Joseph, he had secured a good land for them, and the Egyptians had simply betrayed them. Time To go home. Amen.